Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. A GLT with me, CG, and we're recording, please. So, uh, good afternoon, as it happens to be for me here in uh, Bristol, and I'm talking now live in London to a wonderful man that I'm very excited to introduce to. What you need is a damn good listening to, and I think this is episode eight, so congratulations to you, Mr. Andrew Day, for being person number eight, please. A bit like cashier number eight, please. So you're, you're the eighth person to get on the open road of this thing. So um, how are you today, Mr. Andrew Day? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm very lucky. I've got um, a room up high in the house, built like you by the look of it. And I'm looking out over the, the our neighbours on the opposite side have really nice tall trees. So you sort of feel like you're in the treetops a bit. Sounds like you're a bit of a curtain twitch app. You're watching your neighbours and what they're up to, if I may say so. <laughs> Once, I, when I moved up onto this floor, actually, I had a whole new bunch of neighbours' windows that I could see into and who could see into mine, and the, the whole dynamics of my working day changed. Hitchcock's rear window. Who knew we were going to talk about that? Fantastic. Also, congratulations looking at you, as I like to do, because you're quite, quite pleasing on the eye. You're ahead of me on the curve of getting a haircut post-pandemic, or during the pandemic. Yeah, did this myself without a mirror. <laughs> So <laughs> there is that joke about how you stick a you know plaster on your bottom for a boil and the joke is you always end up sticking the plaster on the mirror but whatever you've done a good job and I've got to wait till tomorrow uh, to get my head. You're looking pretty good on it. You're a lovely man. So um, uh, we have working voices in common. One of the aims of what we're going to talk about is how to amplify the personality and the brand of of Working Voices, a domain that we both share and are very happy to be a part of. But also I want to get to know you, the human being, that um, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know over the years. You strike me as a very warm, very, very intelligent, sharp, intellectual human being. I know that you're experienced as a, as a playwright as well. I've been to see one of your really compelling bits of promenade theatre, which we, we may or may not talk about. But um, yes, th there's lots that you bring. And indeed, just to thank you, you've also helped me very much when I was thinking about how to best uh, position what you need is a damn good listening to, which is what this podcast is all about. So um, first question, when somebody's at a dinner party and asks you that really rather clunky question, when someone unbeknown to us, a stranger, just turns to you and says, what do you do? What's your favourite way, uh, Andy, a day of answering that? Of escaping that question. Um, <laughs> I've, I have disciplined myself to start by saying that I'm a writer because that's what I am and that's how I want people primarily to see me. Um, and one of the reasons it takes discipline to do that is I don't necessarily enjoy always talking about how I do that. And part of the reason for that is no one is as interested in it as I am. So I'm way more interested in my writing career than anyone uh, who asks me about it. And so I always feel I'm having to sort of say a bit less than I'd like to. Whereas some of the other things I do like this, uh, people are often, it's a bit more balanced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so I can start to talk about it or find something interesting to say about it. Um, so I, I discipline myself to say that I'm a writer first and foremost. And indeed, even the way you answered that, what I, what I find really appealing about you and what I know about you is we are almost opposites in terms of the preferences of, you know, the factory default setting of extroversion versus introversion. You strike me just in that, you know, measurement as we know it to be of being more introverted, therefore less wanting to step into the spotlight and say what you think. 
Yes, that's probably true. That's probably true. I mean, I, I do really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, nothing I like more than the sound of my own voice, really. Although it's, it, it's the deep, it, it, almost like, you know, how we envy other people we come across. And um, I'm always saying quickly what I think, whereas you're more quiet, enigmatic, and definitely works because people sort of lean into you more to ask and wonder what you're thinking, which you know, uh, to be perceived as being deeply thinking is a, a real compliment, I think. Thank you. That's nice of you to say. So we're going to introduce some storytelling archetypes to what you need as a damn good listening to. Just so you know, this is my version of Desert Island Discs, if you like. Um, but we're going to introduce you to the notion of a clearing, first of all, uh, Mr. Day. So um, what would you say your clearing was? Where do you go to get clear, to get creative when you've got the space to escape you know, the monsters of distraction? Where do you go and what is your clearing all about? Well, it's actually over there. So what I'm going to try and do is, is, is to lift the camera off here. Oh, we're moving. I like this. Yeah. And uh, see if I can, I can cap there. You see that chair? Ah, okay. Okay. That chair yeah. over there. And I'm is, seeing that it's got, is it a leg up sort of chair, like a, a chaise longue, or am I just making that up? Oh, no, no, it's got, it's got a sheepskin on it, actually. It's quite, um, so this is my mini boudoir. Um, but <laughs> it uh, is low tech uh, or no tech. And it's over there and the light comes through and the desk is here with the laptop on it. And over there, pencil, paper, ah. pencil sharpener. Um, that, and I can sit back and that's more creative. I've got big sheets, big sheets of paper that I can write on when I'm doing something creative. So for me, that's where I go. I really look forward to going there. Or sometimes I just go and read a book. Um, but it's nice to have that sort of separation from here's where I answer emails. I wouldn't dream of answering emails in that chair. Right. Ah, so you don't sit there with a the laptop or a sort of tablet. You, you just write. It's the physical enjoyment of writing. Yeah, and then uh, well, I've got something and I might come over here and, and, and use the laptop to type it up. Just having the space between the digital and the um, old-fashioned, uh, I find that really helpful. And also just a more comfortable chair. It's also, it was uh, a chair bought by my parents in Canada when they were uh, first married. And it was in our home... Um, it's kind of my dad's chair and it disappeared at one point and I went into his office at work and I saw it there. I thought, oh, that's where that chair went. And it's sort of, you know, just sort of tumbled along. And then um, when they were getting rid of it, I, I picked it up and took it and uh, it's, my, it's mine now. And do you mind me asking, are your parents still around, Andy? My dad's gone. So uh, my mum's still around, but my dad's gone. And uh, I have very good memories of him, him sitting in it and thinking. And, and is the sheepskin connected? Is that yours or was that something you also inherited with the chair? So your dad no, I think, I think that was a, yeah, that was a family present. I mean, so it's, it's a real sheep that died. I don't know if that's bad. Um, well, I'm assuming it's not a live sheep. That would be more unusual. Yeah, yeah. And my, my reasons for wanting to be going to that corner and making it my clearing might be more questionable. But um, no, it's, uh, yeah. And over the back of it is um, a fabric that I bought in Indonesia that my mum turned into a quilt. So there's all kinds of family yeah. uh, and bobs. Lots of, if I may, family stains on that chair. Sorry, I didn't, sorry, I, I'm, I'm regretting having said that now, but it's got texture to it and it's got legacy and it's got history. Also, I'm going back a few paragraphs. I loved how you said almost the precision of I need a sharpener, a pencil sharpener there, which I think, you know, is one of the things I experience in you is you've got a, quite a, a sharp mind, particularly when it comes to writing. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going back to pencil and paper. I've just really enjoyed that process, physical process of making the marks and, and stuff. I suppose it just brings back memories of when I didn't have to worry so much about what I was writing. 
Sure. So do you have to worry more nowadays about what you're writing? Yeah, well, there's more pressures. Like, is this any good? Can right. I sell it? Will they like it? Whereas yeah. before, it was just your teacher who would go through it and give you a mark and give it back and, you know, yes. do what you wanted. And in terms of the, the context in which you normally sell your writing, would that be in a sort of playwriting capacity? Or are we talking about your magnus opus of the novel you might be writing? Uh, well, I'm in a funny position now. I've been published in uh, film, TV, just radio recently. It hasn't been recorded, but uh, it's all ready to go once uh, COVID is over and then get people in the studio. Film, TV, radio. Um, one of my books here, uh, which is a non-fiction book about... Uh, you have about to be a bit closer, math. not coming across very well. Maths and teaching maths. The number verse. How numbers are bursting out of everything and just want to have fun by me. Um, number verse. Sorry, we didn't see the cover on the film there. That's the quirk of Zoom. Oh, you can't see it very clearly. I noticed on that particular uh, picture, uh, but it's beautifully, beautifully illustrated by someone called Tamara Levi. Um, uh, and it's a lovely, lovely edition of, of the book. I'm very proud of it. And just and say the name again. You deserve to have it sort of bigged up once again. The Number Verse. The Number Verse by Andrew Day. And it's on Amazon. You can have a look inside on Amazon. And it's about um, teaching introducing children to mathematics and making it uh, an exciting place. That's why it's called the number verse, how, you know, okay. it's a place to explore rather than um, a boring thing. So making maths interesting. Sure. And you mentioned teaching there as well. Is, is English, has that always been, because I think of your, your linguist, so English has always been your main subject, has it? Not really, no. I used to, I used to run a language school mm -hmm. um, and we, um, we got it here. Yeah, somewhere around here, I've got the books. Uh, that we wrote so we wrote our own textbooks so I was involved in writing a, a method of teaching English okay. as well but I, I'd rather not teach English actually I, I mean maths was way more fun because it's not really my subject and yeah. I find that actually in, in this work as well working for working voices I much prefer working with people on things that I found difficult to learn um, things that come naturally to me where yeah. my talents lie I don't really like teaching them I'm, I'm, I'm not patient enough and I can't take the learner's point of view well enough whereas if it's something that i struggle to learn like networking is a good example i'm not a natural networker as an introvert so i really had to make that progress myself i had to make those steps and do that learning none of it was natural to me so that's why i think i actually have more to offer and and really enjoy trying to take people on that same journey whereas if it comes natural to you i sometimes find myself looking back and thinking why is this hard why can't you just do it uh, okay i yes yeah, so when you feel that you've nailed something you, you want to move on to the next thing to sort of keep you stretching. There's that. And there's also the fact that I just can't uh, put myself in the shoes of the learner. If it's something I find naturally, I'm naturally good at or more easy. I, I just sometimes find myself looking at them and, and going too fast for them or yeah. trying to add too much too soon. Whereas if it's something that I struggled with myself and had to really, had to really study and learn and it wasn't easy, then it's much easier for me to help people. I think. Sure. And by the way, I live in Bristol, as you know, and we've got Ardman Animations here in Bristol. And one of the films by Ardman is called The Wrong Trousers. Now, I, I have to say one of my funniest memories of working with you. I can't quite remember where we were, but I remember what happened. If the book was written about you on that day, it would be called No Trousers. Uh, do you, <laughs> would you be kind enough just to regale us with that particularly <laughs> hilarious story? <laughs> Yeah, um, it was in Frankfurt. I remember it very well. It's in Frankfurt and um, I had taken my suit um, and when it, well, I got to put it on in the morning before, so we'd all, about a whole bunch of us, five or six had flown over to do this thing in, in Frankfurt, a uh, really enjoyable um, gig that we do. 
And uh, when I opened up the suit, I realized under the jacket, there was no trousers. I had the jacket, but I didn't have the trousers. Um, I had, it was some midsummer, so I'd gone over in, in you, know, you know, kind of board shorts and a, and a t-shirt. I didn't have any kind of smart casual to back it up. So I just had my shorts. Um, and I came down to breakfast in the morning and you were so supportive and you talked me through it and said, look, you can explain, you know, some of the interesting things that have been going on in your family recently that might have distracted you and where you are. And you really talked me around. I had my head down and, and I sort of came up and thought, yes, yes, I can do this. In fact, I can make this work for me. The fact that I'm the guy in the shorts and the T-shirt, whatever else is in the suit, it's going to work. It's going to be great. And then one of our other colleagues came down and said, they want any trousers. <laughs> you better get some trousers fast and then <laughs> i went to the guy in reception a lovely guy in reception and uh, i explained the problem i said is there anywhere around here i could possibly buy a pair of smart trousers it was about 7 15 in the morning or something and he said no i'm not sure and he said but i've just got a pair of trousers back from the dry cleaner they're in the back i think you and i are about the same size you're welcome to borrow them so i sort of looked at him and thought would you really be that kind? I remember you eyeing each other up, said, okay, could I, could I? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were a perfect fit. They were a perfect fit. So I had the shirt and everything. And uh, you've got a photograph, I remember, of us, uh, this, this, this fantastic guy <laughs> lending me his trousers for the yes. day. And um, it was so lovely he offered, because we were just about to leg it over the counter to mug him to steal his trousers, weren't we? But not really, but that's all good. But anyway, yeah, thank you yeah. for sharing that story. Is, sorry, did I interrupt you? Is there anything else you'd like no, to say? No, 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 no. It, it brought you, you and me closer together. <laughs> to the gift of no pants. Lovely. So, uh, if I may, uh, bringing us back into the clearing. So, imagine in this metaphorical clearing, another storytelling archetype now is a tree where I'm going to invite you to shake your tree to see which apples fall out. And the apples are going to take the form of a storytelling exercise that I know we talked about beforehand, which is where you, Andy, have had five minutes or as long as you needed to think about four things that have shaped you, three things that inspire you. Two things that really never fail to grab your attention. And then one quirky or unusual fact about you that we couldn't possibly know about until you tell us. So my invitation to you is you don't have to download the whole exercise, no pressure there. But if you were to shake your tree, the apples are falling out. Which one of those sort of apple-like components would you most like to talk about? Hmm. Um, I think... I could talk about one sort of unusual or quirky thing, which was that when I first started working for Working Voices, uh, not so much now, and certainly a lot before that, I used to run philosophy sessions with uh, primary school children. So going to schools with a, a whole class and uh, not teach them about philosophy or tell them the names of any philosophers and what they thought. That came up sometimes, but that wasn't the point. It was to do some philosophy, to get them philosophizing. And we would work with sometimes children as young as, as six, five or six occasionally, um, but usually no, no older than about 11. And uh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Um, again, it led to, that's what led to the book on maths. I sort of moved from philosophy into, into how, you, how you can approach maths from that point of view of exploring rather than having a fixed sort of destination where you've got to get the kids. It's sort of, let's, let's, let's go outside for a walk and see what we find. Something. So, go on. Link to philosophy. There's just this innate inquisitiveness about. Let me expand your mind and expand. Yeah, and and really just open up questions um, and think about anything. Why does it happen? Um, what do we need to think about to come up with an answer for this question? And it, actually, it's way way more um, enjoyable doing it with children than it is 
with adults in a lot of ways because they're just, especially at that age, much more open uh, and would, would try anything. Oh, what about this? What about this? And it can be very funny and, and, and exciting, but also, um, yeah, really rewarding. And even if you grow up in a, in a, in a quite uh, educated or middle-class household, especially if you have siblings and you're a child, you rarely get to finish what you want to say. Yes. And have someone say, that's interesting, let's develop that thought. Something always sort of comes in on top of it. And that can be fun. That's a, that's a great way of having a conversation, almost like what we're doing now. You know, one person jumps and then moves it forward. But it's also fascinating to see children sometimes get to finish their thought and stop. And then you just say, okay, well, what's your next? And the whole, you know, 28, 29 other nine-year-olds waiting for them to finish. Yes. Not every time, not always, but you can get to that. You can get to that point. And, that's, and they can be, you know, sometimes they talk about something for nearly an hour without any real problems of concentration or um, problems of behaviour. That's also lovely about the provision of a, a clearing metaphorical space where the children can have yeah. time and the, and the focus to be present. And interestingly, it wasn't just metaphorical. We would insist that they move the desks and got the chairs into a circle so there was nothing in front of them they're just all sort of in a big sort of horseshoe or circle and we and we never really worked out why that was so essential to the process but it absolutely was even if you had a little kink in the circle where you couldn't quite have the space to get a nice round shape yeah even that would cause a slight problem it was really important to get everybody into that um configuration and I've, I've never worked out why it was so important and that was one of the reasons sometimes really difficult to explain to the teachers how important it was because we didn't know why it was important yeah yeah we didn't, work, we didn't do it and interesting because i drama teacher trained before i actor trained um, the first thing you do as a drama teacher there is that joke that drama teachers like to do it in circles the first thing you do with a class is just put everybody into a circle so there's an inclusivity that happens so even in one of my first theater books that i remember enjoying peter brooks the empty space it's just this idea of some something that's brimming and charged with potential that everybody's focused in on, which is obviously theatre in the round. As you described, as soon as the circle's broken, that becomes almost like a, a proper theatre, uh, you know, three-sided theatre, thrust stage. But there's something very interesting about the circle. Definitely. So, um, thank you for that. We're going to talk about some alchemy and some gold now. Um, in fact, just before we do that, what, what's your, been your journey to now to get into the Working Voices Clearing? How have you ended up, you know, we both have Working Voices in common. How did you arrive here into what you're now doing as a facilitator coach? Um, through one of our colleagues and one of my oldest friends, Paul Hill. Um, and he had been working with Working Voices pretty much since the beginning with Nick Smallman, the founder. Mm -hmm. And I was originally brought in um, mainly as backup on the writing courses. But as I said, uh, because writing is something I naturally do, um, I'm more drawn towards, towards lots of the other courses, the courses where, you know, finding out new things. And you're, you're exactly right, that point you made. As soon as I've learned something, I want to go on something new and something new and something new. I'm, I'm, you, you probably, I'm absolutely like that. I find it difficult to do the same thing twice. Um, but yeah, through that really, through that really, and it's been you know a, a great place to work. And also, as as you know very well, I mean the recruitment process does seem to be generally like that about trust and uh, yeah. a sense of okay, who do, who do we know rather than um, you know just riffling through CVs, which is all about it's all about the relationship. Stupid. What I was really struck with when I met, obviously the same. Uh, Nick Smallman was the idea of, of the, the culture of inclusivity 
once he trusts you and the company trusts, the door flies open and then you're suddenly imbued with trust, which is certainly what worked for me. Yeah, no, I've, 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 I've definitely felt that, felt that all along, that trust is a policy. Nicely put. So we're going to talk about alchemy and gold, as I promised. Uh, you've been giving us delicious, uh, shiny gold and alchemy as we've been talking, actually. It's very rich, the stories that you're bringing. But it, when you're in your sweet spot of being able to be, uh, you know, in the leadership realm, it's called servant leadership, as we know, for whom and for what am I in service? If you're on the open road of being in your zone, what is it you think you most like to impart to people that you're helping? Well, I thought about this, and I had one uh, when, we, when you first mentioned we'd do this interview a while ago, and I just totally forgot it. Um, and I thought, I thought another angle on this is when I really get a kick out of it is when I think of something new. Um, so either I could, uh, there is one I could tell you, there is one I could tell you, actually, or I could tell the new one. Which, which, which one we go through first, the new one or the... the well, because uh, of your love of new, let's just pressure you to go for the new shiny thing. Okay, the new shiny thing is hippos and crocs. <laughs> hippos in crocs? No, and crocs. And um, basically, we think we're dealing with crocodiles when we're actually dealing with hippos, is the idea. Okay. So if you ever go on a safari, which I did when I was about 19 or something, oh, my year off. And one of the things they tell you is that you, if you're approaching the edge of a river, um, you've got to keep well back because crocodiles come up and they grab you and they eat you and they bring you in and the people that most likely get caught by crocodiles are people right on the edge standing near and their crocodile rushes up grabs you and grabs you doesn't happen very often but you don't want to happen at all yes but actually you are just as likely to get killed by a hippo the hippo doesn't want to eat you it doesn't even want to kill you but if you get between the hippo and the water and the hippo gets spooked it rushes takes a quickest line to the water whether you're in the way or not and so yeah. you'll get trampled by a couple of hippos when all they want to do is get to safety and so I think the point about how you deal that with humans in human society and human interaction is very often somebody's accused of being a crocodile, of being a nasty person or being hostile yeah. or being critical or negative. When what they actually do, what they're actually doing is rushing towards safety. So often when I'm dealing, coaching people and they say, oh, I have difficulty with this person or I have difficulty with that person, whether it's a senior or a junior person, okay, the person they're talking about is often characterized as a bit of a crocodile. You know, yes. they'll, they'll, they'll snap at me. Mm. And what I encourage them to do is think of them more as a hippo. This yes. person wants something, feels more comfortable with something, and something you're doing is inadvertently threatening them. And most of the time, when I find people there's interpersonal problems, there's the, 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 often the way out, the only way out of it is work out what is it I'm doing that's, threat, that's threatening to this other person. Yes. Because something is, is threatening their ego or threatening their security or something like that. And what they're doing is rushing towards the water and I'm getting trampled. And that's what's happening. So if you see the other person more as a hippo rather than a crocodile, you've got a, a better chance of resolving your issue with that person. Does that make sense? It certainly does. And that's a, that's a, a, a lovely component, I'm sure, of your new critical thinking course. <laughs> well, it could be. It could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's just seeing other, seeing other people. You don't necessarily need to see their point of view always. You just need to understand how you represent a threat to them and then maybe way out that way. Interesting. I love, for my, I'm always, my heart is singing when I'm hearing water-based analogies for some reason, you know, nautical ones or keep an even kill, Mr. Christian, but now being in, in peril, there's water and there's hippos and there's crocs. So I thank you for that. So um, we're coming to the point now, we're in the clearing, we're, we're hearing wonderful alchemy and gold. I'm going to present you with a metaphorical cake, finally, 
Mr. Andrew Day. And I'm going to invite you now to put the cherry on the cake. You've been, you've done a cherry just now, but there's a sort of second cherry. You can have a, whatever second other garland. A what? A second bite of the cherry, is it? We're going second that? bite of the cherry. What's the most important lesson you've ever been taught? Or what is your favourite quote that you'd like to impart? Yes, that's an easy one. Um, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. The gift of silence there. A Andrew, it's been a, in fact, do you prefer, I know on the biog you're Andrew Day, but I know you as Andy Day. Um, I, I worry that I'm not giving you the respect you might be expecting. What, what, what do you prefer? Uh, everyone calls me Andy, so, you know. I googled you before, just because I can, and you're, you're most famous for being the longest serving CBBS presenter, so I'm sorry you've got somebody else who's nicking all your work. <laughs> Yeah, the other guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a couple of bookings. One booking where they actually put his photo on until somebody pointed out that I'm not him. So for those of you who don't know, there is an Andy Day children's TV presenter. He's about six foot five. And uh, yes. And you're not as tall as that, are you? Not quite. No, not quite. <laughs> so um, give us your lovely quote again, because I'll just do you the respect of returning to that place. I thought it was delicious, your quote. What is it again? Never miss a good opportunity to shut up. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to what you need is a damn good listening to with me, Chris Grimes, and more importantly, Mr. Andy Andrew Day. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Good Listening To podcast with me, Chris Grimes. If you've enjoyed the programme, then please do subscribe on all the usual channels. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the programme too, and I'm hosted on Buzzsprout. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do. And then on Twitter and Instagram, at that Chris Grimes. Also, if you'd be interested in having some coaching from me to help you level up your confidence, your personal impact or your brand, then contact me via email, chris at secondcurve.uk. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>